Hi, Simon Hill here. Enjoy our podcast. If you'd like to help us keep delivering the sort of quality football chat you want, then you can show your support by making a donation. Big or small, however much you can afford, we appreciate all your help and every cent will be ploughed back into improving production. Thanks in advance from all of us at Shim, Spider and so much more. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's Craig Moore. What a piece. Beautifully struck home by Craig Moore and the Australian supporters go wild in Stuttgart. Why not? Rickson's corner kick. Celtic couldn't handle Wood on the set piece. It's a brilliant header. And Tail goes to Spitzenkel. What about that? What about that? Here's Aloisi for a place in the World Cup. You're with Shim, Spider, and so much more. Take it away, fellas. Yes, hello again. Thank you for your company for another edition of Shim, Spider, and so much more. Actually, that should be retitled this week for one week only. So much less more. Uh, Because Craig is actually not with us today. A business meeting that uh, unfortunately clashes with our recording. Uh, But Maury will be back next week. So, it's me and the big arachnid, Spider Kalatz. And Spider, good to see you, mate. You didn't play this weekend. Nice life you have. Six months without a game. You finally get underway and you got a weekend off. Yeah, it worked out perfectly for us, especially with the schedule. Uh, yeah, we got a win and a draw, so that's good. Uh, the team that docks a drama, they start playing as of Wednesday, so we'll have to catch that game up somewhere along the way in this uh, heavy fixture that we've got. And hopefully we don't cause too much trouble today with our big chops here to help us. So, yes, mate, fingers crossed. <laughs> When's your next game, Spider? Uh, we play on Wednesday. On Wednesday. Okay. Yeah. Good luck with that. Uh, thanks for the moment. Lots to get through. And this week sees the return of Simon Says. Simon Says. Well, as of next week, there will be five months left on the current television deal between the A-League and Fox Sports. It is a sign of the precarious state of the competition that's so close to the end of that deal, the future is unknown and that the league remains without a naming rights sponsor. Fox have, of course, been the competition's major investors down the years. Without them, the A-League and W-League would not exist. They have ploughed in millions of dollars for which the game should be thankful. And the rumour is they're starting to flutter their eyelids as an expression of interest in renewing. Now, the clubs, of course, are duty-bound to look at that. They need money, they need exposure, and Fox has provided both to an extent down the years. However, to commit to an exclusive deal with the pay TV network would be, in my opinion, a big mistake. 
News Corp has made it quite clear over the last 18 months where football sits in their pecking order. Football journalists have been cleared out, coverage has been reduced, and lest we forget, they used a global pandemic to bully the sport into submission to renegotiate a deal they had signed of their own free will. Yep, other sports had the same issues, but none were brought to the brink like football where only some smart manoeuvring by James Johnson wrong-footed the broadcaster and saved the game from oblivion. Make no mistake, they want it out. Now, while the game is largely to blame for its own misfortunes, a three-year governance war and a spectacular own goal regarding active support tends to do that, football must not forget the way it was treated by its own broadcaster. With no competition in the market, Fox has been free to do as it pleases with the A-League and it's taken full advantage. For 18 months, its attack dogs in the newspapers who wouldn't know Neymar if they saw him in a magazine ran a relentless propaganda campaign to depict the competition as substandard and not worth watching. Other sports were advertised during A-League games to encourage the audience to switch over. They silenced anyone who tried to cover the issues properly. I know, I was one of them. I was told my opinions weren't wanted, barred from writing from the website, refused permission to respond to ill-informed public criticism about me and the game from people within my own organisation. And eventually, I was removed. Football, you see, needed to know its place. A conscious devaluation of an asset. It was Channel 7 in the 90s and the NSL all over again. You might remember the same tactics were used with Rugby Union, a vicious campaign run against Raylene Castle when she had the temerity to explore other options for her sport and try to find a better deal. In the end, she was right, although she paid for it with her job. Now, football wasn't as strong seven months ago, but it's in a better position now, hence why the coverage is suddenly more benign. News Corp are nervous. Rugby gave them a bloody nose. The landscape is changing. There are options. They are hemorrhaging money and they need content. It may be that the A-League chooses to partner with Fox again due to the need for cash. Fair enough. But it must not be on an exclusive basis. The game cannot afford to be dictated to by one overbearing partner in such brutal fashion going forward. If it can find the investment, an OTT platform would be ideal, especially with a mooted second division on the cards to provide that extra content. Some exposure on free-to-air would be great as well. And with the FIFA Women's World Cup here in three years' time, the sport has a real bargaining tool at last. There is talk of Stan, DAZN, Discovery, Amazon, Netflix, etc., etc. Great. But it remains for now at least just speculation. And time is running out. Do the clubs have the grand plan they assure us has been in the offing all along? If so, we're nearing the day of truth. They have full control of the leagues, full control of the commercial future. Football should be grateful to Fox. It did a fantastic job for many years, but nothing is forever. And frankly, the game deserves a brighter future than the one on offer at its current home, where under the present regime, it will only ever be seen as a second tier sport. Football, in my opinion, must show its maturity by refusing to accept that. Let's move on to hard talk. Hard talk. 
Hard Talk is brought to you by Streamgate, one of Australia's first live streaming companies operating since 2008. They focus on virtual and hybrid events, broadcasting to unlimited online audiences worldwide by either a secure private stream page or publicly on social media. Live streaming allows social online engagement as viewers are able to communicate back to the presenters in real time while social distancing. So should you require a small personal event or business level webcast, then please go to streamgate.com.au or you can find them on Instagram. Well, Spider, let's uh, start hard talk with the news that uh, Matty Ryan has got the move of his dreams, joining his boyhood club Arsenal on loan until the end of the season. Um, the response has mainly been positive from the public here. Some, though, saying, well, he's just gone from one bench to another. What's your take? Bloody hell, people are harsh, aren't they? <laughs> well, uh, about a month ago, we had this conversation, and I actually said the perfect club for Matty would be someone like Arsenal. Yeah. And uh, look, he was never going to play at Brighton. The opportunity has come up now to go to Arsenal, which is unbelievable opportunity for Matty. Um, it's a pity they got knocked out of the FA Cup today. That might have given him some game time there. But now it's up to Matty. Fight for his position. A great opportunity. Brighton made it clear that Matty Ryan was not going to play for the rest of the season. So he's gone somewhere to give himself a chance to play. Fantastic move. I wish him all the best and I hope he gets an opportunity. Totally agree. I think it's a terrific move for him. Um, let's move closer to home. Um, Western United, we'll talk about their game against Perth and that crazy match in a moment, but uh, Western United have got planning approval for their new stadium in Wyndham, which is going to be, as we know, the first purpose-built football stadium to be owned wholly by an A-League club. And it's getting closer, Spider. That's great news, isn't it? That's brilliant. Uh, you know, fair play to Western United. They're, they're shaking, moving and shaking the grounds out there and making things happen, which is fantastic. And hopefully... They can get that off the ground, up and building, and other clubs will follow. It just shows that, you know, in this COVID period that we've had, going back to these smaller venues, football stadiums is the way to go. And uh, by having our own grounds, which will make it easier for kickoff times, we won't be dictated to by television. It's just fantastic all over. Talking of smaller stadiums, um, Tony Sage, the Perth Glory owner, is threatening to move matches again from HBF Park due to crowd capping. Um, I'm not quite sure why that's a problem. I think most stadiums have crowd capping at the moment, but maybe there's something specific to WA uh, and other restrictions. That, that wouldn't be good, would it? I mean, HBF Park is one of those venues that is perfect for the A-League and for Perth. It is. It is, Simon. The only reason that I can think of and what all A-League clubs will be suffering is how much it costs. Hmm. The, pr the price of hiring the ground would be killing the clubs unless there's some sort of discount rate at the moment. Uh, they need to go to smaller venues at the moment because if they're paying 100 grand uh, to rent, rent the ground and they can only get 3,500 in, they're, they're copping a big kick up the backside. It's not the first time Tony Sage has threatened to take them away from that particular venue. Those two clubs that we just talked about, Western United and Perth Glory, goodness me, didn't they put on a show at the weekend? Uh, Western United winning by five goals to four, eight goals in the second half, which is a new uh, A-League record. And Mark Redan saying in the post-game press conference that he and Richard Garcia at, uh, at certain points during that second half were just turning at, at each other and laughing. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. i tell you what, who said the A-League was boring? Uh, <laughs> It's entertainment plus. And look, I know for the coaches, it would be a disaster. They'd be pulling their hair out. 
Uh, not that much. Both of them have got much hair to pull out, to be honest <laughs> with you. But yeah, it's a difficult one for coaches. But for the neutral, uh, it was it was great. There was plenty of goals. We know that goals come from mistakes. Not every goal is going to be a perfectly moved and to pat and play. They, mistakes happen in football. And for once, uh, a lot of them, the chances were taken. And it was entertaining. And I think it was it was fantastic. Look, at the end of the day, we want entertainment. We want the game to be entertaining. We want something to talk about. Great game of football. And probably Western United actually deserved to win and they got the result. Just the one goal in uh, the original rivalry between Adelaide and Melbourne Victory scored by Mohamed Toure on starting debut at 16. This kid, I mean, we saw him last season. Strangely enough, at the start of um, uh, last year, we were, we were actually talking more about his brother, Al Hassan, but uh, all of a sudden it's about Mo Toure. Uh, how good is this kid? Because Carl Veert, Spider, reckons that he's the most exciting Australian youngster he's seen. Oh, what a great goal. Uh, 16 years old, the speed, the power to, to win the ball, to push the player off the ball, the composure to hit it with the inside of his foot, far post, like real quality. Uh, 16, bright future ahead of him. Keep his feet on the ground, keep working hard. He's got the right people around him at Adelaide and Carl Viet and uh, Roscoe Aloisi to keep his feet firmly on the ground and keep working hard. Fantastic. Any uh, concerns about Melbourne victory? They've started the new season with back-to-back defeats, picked up injuries to Rudy Gestead and Callum McManaman at the weekend. Uh, on the plus side, of course, Robbie Cruz came back. We're going to hear from him later on in the show. Look, it's a difficult one because I think, as we've seen all over the world at the moment, it's, it's difficult and even more so for the teams in the A-League. Their games are not weekly at the moment. They're all over the place. So it's going to take time for these teams to gel uh, Brebner obviously new in charge at Victory. It's a very new squad he's assembled, so it's going to take time. They've not been bashed. They've just been beaten. It was quite entertaining game, to be fair, Adelaide City and Victory. It could have went both ways. So, look, nothing to panic about just yet. You just call them Adelaide City. You've gone back to the days of the NSL, haven't you? Sorry, sorry, Adelaide United. Sorry, I'm going to get dogs abused for that. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, Wellington against Newcastle. Finally, a win for the Jets in what uh, arguably was their worst performance of the season. Sometimes works that way, doesn't it, in football? But when you've got a goal scorer like Roy O'Donovan, who's just uh, netted his 50th in the A-League, you've always got a chance. Um, joy for the Jets, and I, I don't think anybody would uh, begrudge them that. Any concerns for Wellington? Ufuk Talley remains winless, and yet... I seem to remember Spider, same time last year, the first four matches they played, they didn't win either. And they still went on to have a very good season. I, I still thought they played well. Um, I, I thought they, they could have played almost for three days and they wouldn't have scored. Uh, I know they got the penalty right at the end. Um, Jack Duncan was fantastic in goal for Newcastle. And to be fair to Newcastle, they haven't been poor in their matches either. You know, they probably haven't played the full 90 minutes out but they've played in patches some very good football and they haven't been able to score. This was a game that probably went the other way around. Wellington had the better chances, uh, couldn't score, and Newcastle took their chances fantastically. So, it's, look, it's a very even A-League, and we're going to get that all year round. The team that's top of the league is none of the ones we've spoken about, though. It's the Mariners. <laughs> top of the shop after beating Sydney FC 2-0 away, their first away win against the Sky Blues in seven years. Um, Ruan Tongyik starting to mature into the player that we all hoped he'd be. Alu Cool, exciting. Bazanik and Stensness giving them a real base in midfield. 
Are they the real deal, Spider, or are we going off a bit early? Look, I don't know if they're the real deal, but I tell you what, if you ask the one-man band like a propaganda machine, Ray Gatt, he'll tell you their championship <laughs> material. But I'm happy, I'm happy for Central Coast Mariners. I really am because what, what's shown there is how even the league is. Uh, Alan Studge has done a very good job in putting the team together. And I think the difference this year between Central Coast and last year, last year they were in a lot of matches and things didn't go their way. They went behind and they crumbled. This year, they've got a very good goalkeeper, Birigetti, who's actually making an importance that could actually change the matches. And he's keeping them in the match. And they are fighting as a team. Bazanich has been a fantastic signing for them. birigetti has been fantastic. And they're led up front by Matty Simon. The, the, the war horse is leading the line with all the young players around him. They're doing a fantastic job. I think the real deal to win it, I'd say no. But the real deal to make the A-League much more entertaining, they're definitely doing a great job this year. Tell you what, if they could make the finals, that would uh, represent real progress, wouldn't it? After uh, three consecutive uh, wooden spoons, they've certainly made a very good start to life in this year's A-League. Uh, the champions got a few problems. Uh, Spider, Costa Barbarousas, for example, not scored a goal in open play for almost uh, a year. Of course, we know they've lost Adam Lafondra. Um, maybe a lot resting on the return to fitness and form of uh, Babo in that regard. Yeah, yeah, and definitely. And I don't think, again, Sydney FC fans need to worry too much. Uh, their performance on the weekend was decent. In an, a normal situation, they win that match. As I said just before, Birigetti made some very important saves uh, that could have put the game out of hand for Central Coast. So I wouldn't panic just yet. Bobo, definitely, they need a goal scorer. And I don't know what's wrong with Costa Barbarossa at the moment. He just, mate, his bearings are not there to score. He's doing everything right. Barb put the ball in the back of the net. And that may be a little bit of lack of confidence. Uh, but I wouldn't be too worried about Sydney FC. They're still playing some really good football, creating plenty of opportunities. Just sometimes the way it goes, isn't it, uh, in football? Um, MacArthur coming under fire. Uh, for charging away fans $50 for a seat for their forthcoming game against Sydney FC. Now, Sam Kreslovich, who you know very well, Spider, uh, claiming he'd, he'd tried to get a reciprocal uh, discount with, with Sydney FC. Danny Townsend, his opposite number, saying he's received uh, no such contacts or message. Now, whichever way you want to slice this, and we know that the clubs are struggling because they have to pay a lot of money to rent these stadiums, but... 50 bucks is too much, isn't it? I mean, by comparison, yeah. Victory fans paid $26 in Adelaide. Western United charged 25 for both home and away fans. Yeah, I um, I wanted to call Sam, actually, but <laughs> he probably would have had a blast at me. What are you talking about, son? But look, 50 bucks is too much, definitely. Uh, MacArthur needs to just maybe pull their heads in a little bit. Uh, it's probably... It's probably gone now. You can't do anything about it. That's the price for this week's game. Um, but, yeah, I'm sure they'll fix that in, in the next next few home games. I'm sure they will. Fingers crossed. Uh, in the W League, a terrific win for Adelaide United. They've won three of their first four now. They've never actually made the finals in that competition, but they're off to a flying start. Brisbane Raw sticking six-pass victory with uh, Emily Gilnick grabbing uh, a double and uh, first win for the Newcastle Jets under uh, Ash Wilson, defeating Western Sydney Wanderers by four goals to one. And uh, in other women's football news, Spider Ellie Carpenter has won the Asian Choice Player of the Year. Now, this is 
I think technically the Asian footballer of the year, but it's just a bit different this year because they've, they've weighted the vote more towards the fans rather than the expert panel and, and the media selections. But however they've arrived at the decision, that's a big honour for Ellie. Yeah, fantastic honour. And uh, anyone to even get considered for that is fantastic, yet alone, let alone to win it. Uh, fantastic achievement. Uh, great recognition for Australian football once again. Indeed. So before we close out uh, this section, um, news this week that the Y League for 2021 has been cancelled. Perhaps uh, no surprise uh, to hear that news. Um, Greg O'Rourke uh, confirming it uh, the other day. And uh, of course, the clubs who are now uh, fully independent, uh, trying to reconfigure what youth football looks like over the next 12 months. Uh, post-pandemic. And I want to close this particular segment, Spider, by uh, referring back to your words on this podcast last week, where you actually said, well, the A-League players are not fully professional anyway, because they only chain, uh, train four times a week. That's caused a massive war of words on, on social media this week. Now, what's wrong with everyone? Are we so sensitive? Like, everyone knows I'm a black and white person. I call it the way it is. It doesn't mean I'm actually being disrespectful to anyone. That's the way it is. If you speak to the A-League clubs, their, their normal week would be if they play on a Saturday, they would train Monday, Tuesday, they would have Wednesday off, train Thursday, Friday. That's four days as far as I'm concerned. And for the people that are actually being quite sceptical, I worked in the A-League for nine years, so I actually know the majority of the clubs work on a two-day lead-in. So it's not being disrespectful. It's The reality is... They probably can't train anymore because we're very big on loading. And if we load them up too much, they get injured. The grounds are very different to, to other places, so they don't want to get players injured. They can't push them because the squads aren't big enough, so they need players fit. So, mate, what do you want me to say? That they are as professional as they can be in Europe? They're not. Can we push them more? We can. Will they break down? Possibly. But that's, that's the reality of it. That's why we pay you for your opinions, Spider. Actually, we don't pay you, do we? No. <laughs> but we like your opinions nonetheless. Thanks for the moment, mates. Uh, let's head overseas. London Calling. London Calling. With over a century of experience, ACPE's industry-recognised specialist bachelor degrees will turn your passion for sport, fitness, health science, education or dance into a career. Interested? Of course you are. Find out where ACPE can take you. Apply online today for Semester 1 2021 at acpe.edu.au. Yeah, not so much uh, London calling, but uh, Liverpool falling at the moment. Beaten at home by Burnley in the Premier League on Thursday. Their first loss at home in 68 matches, first since April 2017. And uh, overnight, Spider, they've gone out of the FA Cup as well, losing 3-2 to Manchester United at Old Trafford. Uh, is there, as my dad used to say, trouble at Mill? I tell you what, cracking game tonight, by the way. Man United-Liverpool mm. was an absolute cracking match. Um, entertainment plus, end-to-end, really open game. Uh, Man, U Man United, just too good. Could have went either way. Uh, but Liverpool losing to Burnley in, in the competition. They are struggling at the moment in the competition. Uh, the game tonight was a different match. If the competition games are played like the way it is tonight, Liverpool won't be losing for much longer. 
Okay, simple as that. Um, Jurgen Klopp saying somebody else is making transfer decisions at uh, Anfield, which is perhaps a bit of a surprise to, to many people listening. No signings made during the January transfer window at all as yet uh, by Liverpool. I'm sure they'll come good as well. Um, Frank Lampard is, is another one under pressure, but uh, he eased that somewhat with... Uh, a win against Luton in the FA Cup. Uh, Tammy Abraham scoring a hat-trick. Is all this talk of Lampard must go a little bit premature, Spider? It's difficult, ain't it? When you're at a big club and you spent that kind of money, they expect success. Um, he's, he's probably saved himself at the moment with the win today in the, the FA Cup. But in the competition, Simon, I've watched them the last month like closely. They're not playing great. That's the that's the worrying sign. You know, Liverpool's not winning, but they're still playing well. They're still creating chances. Whereas Chelsea are actually just flat at the moment. Um, look, I hope I hope he doesn't get the bullet. Uh, I hope they give him time. We know how difficult this year is for everyone, especially the managers with the rotation of players, the amount of games they're playing. Uh, I hope he gets a little bit more time, but. I understand Chelsea supporters, they want success. You're still in the FA Cup. I think it's uh, more a case of Roman Abramovich has uh, that itchy trigger finger, doesn't he? He doesn't, doesn't tend to show an awful lot of patience with his manager. They've been through so many down the years. Um, one more story out of the FA Cup. Manchester City came pretty close to being uh, the victims of a giant killing. Cheltenham Town were within nine minutes of, uh, of seeing off Pep Guardiola's team in the end, class told, uh, led by Phil Foden. City have got a couple of problems, though, Spider. Kevin De Bruyne has been ruled out for six weeks with uh, injury. And, of course, Sergio Aguero has been diagnosed with uh, with the coronavirus. So two mm. key players that are going to be out for, for at least a little while. Yeah, De Bruyne for sure. But uh, as I've spoken about the last couple of weeks, they're coming good, City. Uh, they're, they're playing good. We, we know, you know better than me how deep their squad is. Uh, their mojo's back. Bruno's a big one for them, but I think they can, I think they can cover him for, for a month, but uh, they need him back ASAP. Sure do. Um, let's move on to other topics. Uh, in Spain, Real Madrid, they're having a real up and down season. Gone out of the Copa del Rey to third division opposition Alcoyano and uh, Zinedine Zidane has also been diagnosed with uh, coronavirus this week. He's having a heck of a time at the moment. Is he on borrowed time, do you think, Zizi, Zizou? Uh, I don't know. Look, they, they, they play their second fiddle team. Hey, I know what it's like. I've played in those games. It's very difficult to motivate yourself for those kind of games. Um, how but you're Real Madrid spider. You have I to. Know. Yeah, I know, but it's it's a strange year for everyone. This this COVID thing, you you really do not understand unless you're actually playing over here how hard it is for all these players and coaches and all the travelling and the matches. And I know everyone says they're getting paid well and they should just win games, but mate, your body is in bits. It's it's really not normal situation this year. So I think you've got to be a little bit lenient towards these clubs uh, because they've still got Champions League coming up now as well. So they've got a lot of, lot of tournaments, a lot of major cups still to play a part of. And I think the Spanish Cup was not high on their list. I wonder whether the European Super League is uh, <coughs> excuse me, high on Real Madrid's list. Uh, that's been making headlines in Europe this week as well. FIFA president Gianni Infantino uh, coming out and, and leading from the front, saying players who take part in any new proposed European Super League 
would be banned, at least in theory, from playing international football, particularly at, at World Cups. This is starting to brew, this story, isn't it? Because Infantino is not going to come out and say that publicly unless the European Super League is a very real possibility. That's my take on it. Where there's smoke, there's mm. always fire. fire. <laughs> so, look, I, I think the older players, I think the older players that have been to many World Cups and stuff like that, you know, from 30 onwards, I'll be saying, stuff this, I'm going to the Super League, I'm going to go fill me pockets up. The younger players, I think they'll be a little bit more wary because they'll still want to go to World Cups, they'll still want to play in uh, European Championships. So it's a difficult one. I hope it doesn't get to that because it'll split up a lot of very, very good players. And it's something we don't want to see in, in football. No, I think that's uh, probably the view of most football supporters. Uh, domestic football should be uh, protected at all costs. I personally think this is a huge vanity project from uh, the established elite clubs and, of course, it's about money. It's always about money. Uh, let's finish off on a, on a positive note before we head into Footballers' Lives. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo scoring his 760th career goal, which is amazing for Juventus against Napoli in the Italian Super Cup. Um, the question is, is he the leading goal scorer of all time? A Czech guy called Josef Bikan, who played between the 1930s and the 1950s, uh, claims the official record with 805 goals, but there's some sort of speculation that a lot of his goals came in amateur games and friendlies and reserve matches. Pelé, of course, famously claims well over 1,000. Romario as well. Um, it's Whatever the, the facts of the matter is, Cristiano Ronaldo... And Leo Messi is on 719, and those two facts we can verify 100%. In future years, when these guys have retired, how are we going to look back on them? Are they going to be up there with Pelé and Maradona? These guys are freaks. Um, if, if, if you added all their goals that they scored in friendly matches and stuff like that, mate, they'd be up to 1,500. They are absolute freaks to... to Constantly score week in, week out, and the competitions that they play is remarkable, is a remarkable job. And you know what? They don't score tap-ins. They just they score worldies. They score all sorts of goals. Uh, just incredible players. They'll be remembered forever. That's how good both of them are. And, you know, I hate when people compare them because it is so difficult to say which one is better. Absolutely. Uh, terrific players, both. Thanks uh, for the moment, Spider. Final segment coming up. Another great guest waiting for us on Footballers Lives. Football. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, our guest today was born in Brisbane in 1988 and started his career with his hometown club, Brisbane Raw. 
after some off-field issues and a loss of form. He was snapped up by Ernie Merrick at Melbourne Victory back in 2009, where he developed into a striker with a real eye for goal. In 2011, he got his big break overseas, signing for Fortuna Dusseldorf in Germany, where he remained on and off until 2019, featuring for Bayer Leverkusen, Stuttgart and for Bochum. He returned to victory last year, and although his second coming has been hampered somewhat by injuries, he's still hoping to have a huge impact on victory's campaign. He has won 75 caps for the Socceroos, won the Asian Cup in 2015, and was part of the World Cup squad under Bert van Marwijk in 2018. He is, of course, Robbie Cruz, and we're delighted to have him with us. Hi, Robbie. Good morning to you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks for having me, guys. No, great to see you, mate. Um, Let's uh, start again about uh, talking about your injuries. I bet you're sick and tired of talking about injuries. Um, You you did play only 11 games last season and and the injury curse struck again at the start of this campaign. Uh, But you're back. You came off the bench at the weekend, which is great. Yeah, it is. Um, It's probably been a story of, you know, probably my career to some part. Um, Ever since um, I got the move to Leverkusen, uh, started really well and then got struck down, you know, with my first ACL there, then... Things kind of just kept, you know, kept suffering, you know, setback after setback. So, um, yeah, happy to be back with the team. Um, it's been a long grind. Um, it's another uh, another op on my knee. So, uh, it took about six or seven months to get back. But uh, it's feeling really good now. So, just just about trying to, lo- um, you know, manage my load. And hopefully I can, um, you know, keep fit and, and hopefully, you know, repay the faith that the victory has shown in me. Is it, is it the same knee, Robbie? Is, is this the same issue that keeps sort of recurring or causing other problems around the same area? Yeah, it is. Um, you know, I've just had a lot of wear and tear on my knee from my first ACL in uh, 2014. So, um, yeah, it's just, just really unfortunate. Obviously, it's nothing I can really control. You know, the, the, a lot of my injuries are, weren't minor injuries. They were, you know, really, you know, uh, long-term injuries, which a lot I couldn't really control. Um, you know, I pride myself on doing a lot of my, you know, rehab, my prehab and everything to keep my body in top shape. But um, sometimes some things are just out of your control. And unfortunately, I've been, you know, really struck down a lot throughout my career. But um, hopefully I can, you know, this latter part of my career, I can hopefully string some, you know, good seasons together and um, you know, really enjoy the moment because um, obviously it doesn't last forever. It doesn't. Um probably seems only five minutes ago that you're a, a young kid in Brisbane. Were you always a football fan? Did you have football heroes, a team that you supported uh, growing up in Queensland? Yeah, I mean, you know, I was always a, a massive football fan. I used to, you know, me and my dad used to go to a lot of the, the old NSL days. Um, we used to love going to watch the strikers play, um, you know, out at Lang, well, Lang Park back then. Um, you know, we used to go watch, I think we were there when they won the, I think it was 97 grand final with Frank mm-hmm. Farina thanks. and Rod Brown up front. Yeah, thanks, mate. Yeah, I pre- <laughs> appreciate you remembering that one. Thank you. Yeah. Um, nah, but, yeah, those times were just, you know, really good for me growing up. Um, you know, my, my parents, my, my dad didn't know a lot about football growing up. Um, you know, I met a wonderful coach, Alan Marley in Brisbane, who, who really helped me and mentored me. But, you know, going to all those NSL games really, you know, gave me that, that passion for football. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about how the old NSL days, but um, for me, it was you know, unbelievable the amount of quality that was on back then. You know, I, I, I work at you know Victor with with Porter and Bowley, who was also one I admired a lot back then. Um, you know, it was really good to be able to watch those players, and um, you know, we really learnt a lot from that. And 
from then I just, you know, kind of just started making a lot of the teams and, you know, representative teams. And luckily enough, I just kind of progressed through to the, to the raw then. And um, yeah, things went and on from there. You came through at a time where there was a whole clutch of very promising youngsters, Michael Zullo, yourself, Tommy Orr, Adam Sorota, Taj Minicon came through around about the same time as well. There seemed to be a, a batch of, of really good young kids that were all developing at the same time. Did you all sort of know each other, you know, growing up or did you played against each other? Yeah, I mean, I, we, we grew up, I grew up with um, Adam Sorota and Michael Zullo a lot. Um, uh, funny enough, I'm uh, married to Taj Minicon's cousin, so... Is um, that right? Yeah, he didn't approve of it, but it is, it is I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, so we, we grew up together. Um, you know, obviously, we all we, we broke through similarly, you know, kind of at the same time when me and Michael Zullo did at Brisbane. Um, so it was really, you know, we had a really good promising squad at the time there. We had, obviously, Frank Farina as our coach, um, you know, who at the time was really good for me. Um, he showed a lot of promise in youth um, when we came through then. And we had a lot of you know, the older heads in, in Maury and, and Tiado who were really good examples for us coming through. Obviously, you know, especially Maury coming back, having the career he had overseas and uh, with the national team. So, you know, they were, you know, calming influences on us, I guess you could say. And, uh, yeah, things, you know, really went really quick for us. I, I signed with the Raw, I think I was 17. And then I think at 18 or so, I think maybe I was starting for the Raw and we just happened to, I scored on debut and happy just to tick over from there and um, had a really good time. And then obviously things went a little bit sour. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny because you mentioned Frank Farina and he probably doesn't get the credit that he deserves because he gave a lot of young players opportunity, but he always surrounded them by good pros that actually helped the younger players develop. Um, I worked under Frankie uh, in the national team and again at Sydney FC and people actually don't realise his knack for a good young talent. He really has a good eye, doesn't he? Hundred percent. I think. Well, you, you see all those players that that came through. They were all all spotted by Frank. Um, I think Frank spotted me playing. I might have been with the youth team at the time, or might have been at QAS, and Frank spotted me and invited me over to the first team. And he had just. Uh, he also had a, an aura about him. Obviously, me being a young guy and what he achieved in his career, and he had a really like a calming influence as well. And and he gave that um, trust into the young players, which was you know you need that as a young kid when you come through. You need someone to give you that belief that that you know you belong there and that you're going to get your chance. And it's not dependent on that one game because sometimes you can get you know overawed. And he obviously, like you said, he surrounded us with with Maury Tiado. Um, at the time, we had Charlie Miller come over from the UK. Um, you know, we had a lot of guys there who were been there, done that, and we, we, you know, they really helped us to nurture us into to what we to what was expected of us, but also what um, just to play our game, just to enjoy it. And you know, I really thank for, um, you know thank Frank for what he gave me, the opportunities he gave me, because I I had a lot of problems sometimes back then as a young kid, but he always believed in me and gave me those chances and. Um, definitely doesn't get enough credit for what he did for you know in yeah. the, for this game in Australia. That's for sure. Um, that that sort of segues Robbie into my next question, which, which was uh, the ending at, at Brisbane Raw. Now it's it's been, I think, written quite extensively that you had some issues. Um, may, maybe your focus wasn't a hundred percent on football. Is is that fair? Is that the way it played out? And and did you feel at that time 
around signing for Melbourne Victory that really you needed to get out of Brisbane and make a fresh start? 100%. Um, I think after my first season at Brisbane, I went to um, FC Twente in, in Holland. Um, they really loved me. Um, I was there for, I think, two or three days, trained with the team, and they offered me a contract, but you know, my head just wasn't there. I um, just, I don't know, there was just, I was a young kid, just didn't, something was just wrong with me at the time, I guess, and just turned it down. I came back home to Brisbane, was still signed for another year, and um, just a lot of off-field things, just, you know, just got maybe, you know, caught up in the wrong things, um, going out a lot, um, probably just wanted to be a young kid, I guess, which, you know, obviously you can't do both at the time. So, um, yeah, I mean, some of it was probably out of, um, how can I say it? Some of it, a lot of it was my, my, my doing, no doubt about it. Um, a lot of things, uh, just escalated from there. And I just probably needed to get out of my comfort zone and away from, from my surroundings in Brisbane. And just, uh, you know, I was really thankful for, for Ernie Merrick and, and the Melbourne Victory for giving me that opportunity to come to, to Melbourne because, you know, I wasn't sure at the time of what to expect and how to handle it myself moving away on my own. So when I moved down here, I, you know, had no real, no, I had a few friends in the team, but none of my people that I, I grew up with. So everything was just purely focused on football. So, and things just, you know, really clicked for me at that time and um, came into a really great environment here at Melbourne Victory, you know, led by Muskie. Um, and just things, yeah, like I said, really, you know, just drove me to, to really work hard and to, to work on my game. And I think that's really what probably turned my career around at the time. And, and then all of a sudden, in 2011, you've got another opportunity to go overseas. Fortuna Dusseldorf came in for you, and this time you did d decide to go. When you first arrived in Europe, um, was, it a, was it a big culture shock, not just the weather and the food, but the, the whole football environment? 100%. Um, when I first, I was lucky enough, we, I played with, we played a friend against Germany in München Gladbach in 2011. That was, I'd just gone over early to sign with Fortuna Dusseldorf to do my medical. And then we played Germany in, in Gladbach. And, um, you know, fortunately I came off the, uh, off the bench that game. Uh, we won, the, I think we won two one. Um, and it kind of gave me that taste of what I was, what was to come. So that atmosphere was incredible. Obviously I wasn't used to that playing here in Australia. Um, obviously playing against the German national team with the, the stars they had at the time, which was, was massive. So kind of gave me that insight of what to expect to, to come up. And it was a big culture shock going into to training for the first time in Germany. Obviously it's a foreign language, was a foreign language for me. So I wasn't understanding anyone. And, you know, obviously here in Australia, we're very accommodating for foreign players. Um, you know, we take them out for coffees and, you know, welcome them in and everything's all nice. But obviously when you head in the other direction as a young guy, it's things are, are drastically different. You're there to take someone's place. Um, obviously, there's a lot, you know, win bonuses and things like that, which plays obviously, you know, it's it's not a, it's a lot more cutthroat and they're not as welcoming, like I said. So, um, you know, it was really difficult for me the first few days. I, um, you know, even just little things like rocking up, not knowing where you sit, and no one really makes you welcome, things like that. But my first year in Germany was quite tough. I didn't play a lot in the second league. We were in the second league at the time. And then we played, I think I played four games off the bench. We, we, um, we got promoted that season. I thought, oh, here it goes again. I'll just, you know, have to head back home. Fortunately, Holger at the time and the national team just kept faith in me and kept fit in that off season. And 
we came back and had a massive turnover of players. Um, and I came back in that second year in the Bundesliga and, um, you know, really tore it up. Cruzy, to be fair, Dusseldorf, one of the best cities I've ever oh, been yes. to, by the way. <laughs> so, so you did all right with picking a place to go to. Tell me, about, tell me about the warm-ups in Germany. Do they still have a 5K warm-up gallop? Yeah, they, they love it. Um, yeah, that's, it's just little things like that. Oh, well, it's not little, but a big thing like that also just, you know, you just, you're not used to the physical side of things when you do that. Like even post-game, we'd, when I was in the Bundesliga with Dusseldorf, I'd play 90 minutes. And you, in Germany, they love running there. You know, they're like robots. So you'd run a 12K and then you come in the next day for recovery and it's, you expect just to go for a gentle bike ride or on, your, on the stationary bikes or just a recovery. But... It's a run along the Rhine. So, you know, you run yeah. for 40 minutes as a recovery and you, you end up running another seven or 8K there, you know. So it's just completely different world and something I was just not ex- used to. So um, it was, took a lot to adjust. Uh, that first year in the second league probably just helped me. I, I saw my body wasn't up to the demands that that European had football, you know, needed me to be at. So I really knuckled down, got my body stronger, worked on my weights, got myself peak fitness and I came back that sec- second year it really really worked for me I, I remember listening to interviews with you uh Robbie and it's it's strange looking back at the time because we'd remembered you as as with respect to kid uh, you know with Brisbane and then at Melbourne Victory and then all of a sudden you'd you'd become this very you, you're a knockabout sort of a guy in Brisbane and a little bit in Melbourne and then all of a sudden you became this super serious uh <laughs> European you know, worldly wise football, it, it seemed to be sort of almost overnight. I remember watching an interview with you and thinking, wow, okay, Cruzy's grown up. Uh, but <laughs> it was, it was seriously as, as, as brutal as that, wasn't it? Because you sort of had to. Um, and, and the question I wanted to ask next was uh, when you got promoted in your first season with, with Dusseldorf, and then all of a sudden you're in the Bundesliga, you're playing at stadiums like the Allianz Arena and the Westfalen Stadium with the, the yellow wall. And then you go on to Leverkusen, you're playing in the Champions League, you're playing at Old Trafford, Stadium of Light, the Olympic Stadium in Rome. Um, are there moments where you, you walk out at those places and you're thinking, my God, you know, I'm a, I'm a kid from Brisbane. <laughs> what, what am I doing here sort of thing? Not, not that I mean that disrespectfully, yeah. but, no, no. you know, you're a long way from home and all of a sudden all your dreams are sort of unfolding, be, you know, before your eyes. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, it's, I think the, the maturity came quite quick because, you know, you sink or swim over there. It's um, mm. spotting, you know, you know, more than anyone. It's, um, you know, you, and then when I, I transferred to Leverkusen, um, I, even at Dusseldorf in the Bundesliga, I was still kind of this you know, raw kid who didn't really think too much about anything. But I had a wonderful year. Um, I think I was, I was third on the assist charts that season for a team we got relegated in the end. But um, then Leverkusen snapped me up. And I think two months after being at Leverkusen, I was, we were playing, you know, training at Old Trafford the night before the Champions League game. And I was like, you know, what, what's going on here? Like um, two or three years ago, I was, you know, just let go by Brisbane Roar. Um, and then I was, you know, at Old Trafford. Um, fortunate enough, I came on at halftime of that game. Um, and that was peak United time, you know, back in 2012, mm. 13, I think. So, um, yeah, it was just it was just a surreal feeling. Um, sometimes you, it was, you had to, you know, pinch yourself and, and, 
make sure you, you, you just kept reminding yourself what to, you, you were there for because um, sometimes you got overawed and you, you start to doubt yourself sometimes um, whether you belonged at, the, at, at that level. Um, so it was really um, just an unbelievable feeling. I think about it all the time. Um, you know, Champions League, I was fortunate in Leverkusen in those four years, we played Champions League each year and we got to the round of 16 each time and just unbelievable feelings playing under lights at, in those stadiums um, against those caliber of players. It was uh, such a, you know, a treasured moment for me. It's, it's brilliant to, to hear like you speak of Leverkusen so highly because I actually went to Leverkusen quite a lot when Frankie Juric was there. And to yeah. think we've had Australian players play at clubs like that, and it really is mind-boggling that people don't use and speak to you more often about these occasions because your career over there in Germany was phenomenal. It was actually yeah. phenomenal what, what you did and where you played. And even speaking to you now, you can sort of, you're very humble about it. Um, yeah. And the way you've grown up by being over them been put in the pressure cooker it actually makes you grow up very quickly doesn't it oh massively it um you know I, I agree with what you say exactly about you know i think here in australia we obviously you know spider you've played overseas for so so long so you obviously know how difficult germany is as well like um here in australia we probably don't look to germany as you know they we're so focused on the you know english premier league so much so yeah, they don't understand the magnitude of some of the clubs outside of England, you know, with, um, you know, obviously Leverkusen is, is normally a perennial top four Champions League team, you know, we produce some world-class players. Um, so for me, when I, once you're in Germany and you realise the, the calibre of, of the club, it was a ma massive achievement for me to, for them to, to want me in the first place and then assign me and then, you know, for me to be able to mix it with the players at the time, I think, I think back to the, when I first signed there, I was, you know, I was competing with um, Hyun Min Son from obviously uh, Tottenham now. Um, and at the time, that first, it sounds funny now, but uh, at the first six months, obviously he was three, four years younger than me. At the time, well, you know, we were you know, head to head for, for that second starting spot on the wing, which sounds crazy, but um, obviously he's an absolute superstar. So um, yeah, it was, it was crazy. I was mixing with some, some top line players and, you know, you, you learn so quickly because it's such a, you know, a pressure cooker, like you said, and you either sink or swim. And, you know, fortunately, you know, that, that club, you know, you know, really, you know, everyone in the club really took me in. They loved me a lot. They um, enjoyed my attitude. The, you know, I brought that, that Aussie, you know, that attitude where I was always fighting. I was always working hard. I was professional and they really enjoyed that. And I still keep in contact with a lot of the club now. And um, yeah, it's uh I think back of you know really good memories. A couple of twi uh, Twitter questions for you, Robbie. Um, one we've sort of touched upon just now. This is from Ike. Uh, is it frustrating that a lot of people in Australia underestimate the level of difficulty to overcome or skill required to get a move uh, to a club the size of Leverkusen? And, and just following on from that, uh, this one from Ads, who says, uh, when playing with Son Heung-min at Leverkusen, did you ever imagine he'd go on to have the career he has? And do you have any interesting stories about Son? <laughs> um, well, yeah, well, actually, well, me and Son signed at the same time, I think 2012, 13 in the summer in, in Europe. Um, we signed at the same time. Obviously, he was for a much higher price than I was. Um, <laughs> and he was he was a lot younger than I was. So he was, oh, he had high hopes at the time. Um, but I was kind of, you know, was, you know, I didn't really think too much about it. I, I thought I belonged. Um, I had a great season at Dusseldorf, maybe yeah, and I, I remember. That I think the fur we were late to preseason because we had national team, and our first session was um, it was crazy. Five v five, 
Um, I accidentally elbowed him in the face and then he just, he just went crazy, you know, um, and then just come running in studs up on me at training. And then we got in a proper blue at the time. I had, this is the first real time I met him. Um, we got in a proper fight. I was like, what's, what's going on here? And then just the rage took over and we had Sammy Hoopier was the coach at the time. He come running in and it was, yeah, it was pretty crazy. Copped a fair whack of a fine. For me, it was obviously a huge fine because I didn't know what was going on. Um, and then, yeah, from there, we became really close friends. Um, obviously, playing in Asia together, um, sharing that Asian Cup final together, um, which was sad for him losing. Obviously, um, he had a lot riding on that with, um, you know, the military things on the line there. And um, we became really close. I'm still keep in touch to this day. Um, wonderful guy. At the time, I knew he had such high qualities as a young kid. He was only, I think, 18, 19 at the time. He had a really you know, unbelievable technique at, at shooting for goal. It was just left and right foot. He could curl them inside the foot, far post every single time. So um, you could see he had the quality. Um, then he went, uh, when he went to, Tot to Tottenham, it was, uh, you know, he got taken off at half time the first three or four games of the season. And, um, you know, he had a lot of backing, Sonny, from um, obviously the, 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 he had um, LG was our major sponsor, which was purely from Son. Um, yeah, he was a, obviously a massive superstar in Asia. So, um, yeah, he then said he wanted to leave. Spurs took him and we thought, well, geez, it's going to be a big step up now. Obviously, the, the physicality of the Prem, but um, always had the talent, but uh, just a true testament to his, you know, his you know, ambition and quality that he, he's gone on to be the player he is now. So it's great to see. Um, talking of elbows, a question from Dave. After leaving Brisbane Raw... You copped some pretty poor treatment from Brisbane players the next time you played them. I think it was your second game for victory. Was yeah. it? Was you, you did? I call that game, and I remember you seemed to have a massive target on your back for some reason. Was there bad blood yeah. that led to this, or was it unexpected? It's a good question from Dave. That one. Actually, we're going to give Dave our question of the week for that. A hundred dollar voucher from Outback Steakhouse on the way to you, Dave. Yeah, I think I remember. I can't remember who did it. I think it might have been Charlie Miller. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, uh, yeah, he was a fiery man. Um, yeah, even at trainings, he used to get quite fired up. So, I mean, look, I, I think I'll, if you spoke to a lot of those players, they probably handled it not the best as well. But in saying that, I mean, I, I probably incited something. Um, you know, I, I did a lot of the wrong things there at the time off the pitch. Um, and I, at the time, I was probably one of the you know, leading players for, in the attack for the Roar at the time. So it was probably a big loss. Um, and then me coming to victory, um, you know, things probably just escalated. It, it was a bit of a shock at the time. I wasn't expecting it, but again, it happens, I guess. I think <laughs> things get heated on the pitch. It's, I've done the same probably in, to other people at the time, in other, other times. So um, it is what it is. It's uh, all well now. <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk a bit about uh, national team days. Um, you, you mentioned the Asian Cup final in 2015, which uh, probably the highlights, I would imagine, uh, along with playing at a World Cup. Um, you, you picked up, unfortunately, an, another nasty injury in that uh, Asian Cup final, but there must have been a wonderful thing to be a part of under Ange Postacoglu. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, Ange, for me, even to this day, probably with the coaches I've had overseas as well. I mean, Sammy Hoopier was an excellent coach when I had him at Liverpool. Obviously, the aura he had about him with his career and everything. Um, but for me, Ange, hands down, probably the best coach. Unbelievable mentor. Um, 
it just had a same as all the good coaches that order about him that you just respect everything he says every word that comes out of his mouth you everyone listens to with just unbelievable intent um and just the belief he gives players no matter you know he believes that australian players can be as good as any in the world um and i don't um and that's just his meetings before games used to give your goosebumps because he used to it was, funny enough he used to do it before lunch and then we'd go have a sleep and um sometimes you'd almost rather him not do it because you'd be so fired up you wouldn't be able to relax for the rest of the day so um <laughs> So he just had an unbelievable ability to, and the way he wanted the team to play attacking football, people didn't expect us to do so much, I think. Um, and it just, the way it all came together after, um, and that Asian Cup uh, Asian Cup was was tremendous. I think I remember after the World Cup, we played a friendly in Qatar and UAE. I think we drew with UAE. It was my first game back from my ACL. Um, and then we lost to Qatar 1-0. And he sat us in that room after the game and was quite angry and animated and was, um, yeah, he said, you know, Millay pointed to Millay and said he'll be holding that Asian Cup final and Asian Cup trophy in at the end of January. So whoever wants to be there needs to 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 switch on. And we, yeah, at the time you're thinking, well, we just lost to Qatar in Qatar. You think, well, geez, might be a bit tough, but it just the way he could just predict things and just drive us to to new levels was was tremendous. And yeah, like you said, that Asian Cup final was bittersweet for me. It was, you know, I was on the verge of. Um, maybe getting a move as well from Leverkusen at the time, um, pending a medical. So uh, Where were you going, Robbie? In... Where were you going? Uh, yeah, I don't really want to talk about it because um, obviously it didn't come through. So Tell us was, the uh... league. Tell us the league. <laughs> no, it was in Germany. It was All in right. Germany. So <laughs> it was, um, yeah, so it was just, you know, bitterly disappointing for me. Um, sometimes I think back to whether I should have pulled out of that final because I, I probably ha I felt the ankle was a bit sore at the time. Uh, I didn't. Uh, obviously, it's difficult to pull yourself out of a final like that. Um, and then, yeah, to miss a year of football from that was was quite difficult to take. And that was probably, you know, the start, um, the, the really hard road for me in terms of injuries because that was a tough one to come back from. Um, you became, Robbie, it's probably fair to say this, the whipping boy for the national team in the same way that Brett Holman suffered that sort of treatment for the national team back in the day. Um, I know that's something that's affected not not only you but your family as well. Has that been difficult uh, to live with? Obviously, you know the, the national team is not playing at the moment, and you've not played for the national team for a little while, so it's sort of it's dissipated somewhat. But uh, for a long time, you were uh, held up as the reason why Australia weren't winning, and or the the reason why Australia couldn't score goals. Um, did that hurt, given you've been an established international for so many years? Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, I'd be lying if I said it, it didn't affect me in some way, you know. Um, you know, I think, you know, it was weird because I think at the start of my career, well, probably up until 2016, 17, I was, you know, probably one of the favourites from a lot of the fans at the time, you know, when I was a young guy coming through with Holger and things like that. So, um and then, you know, I went to China. I came back from China to Germany. And then, you know, I, uh, yeah, all of a sudden it just started really to get quite bad, probably just, just before the World Cup. Um, and obviously you never want to see if, you know, obviously I expect critic uh, to be criticised for, for performances. That's normal. Um, I was used to the scrutiny in Germany. Uh, Leverkusen is 10 times worse than it is here in Australia. I mean, mm. um, the, the fans over there obviously are fanatical. So 
you, you cop it from when you, if, if you don't perform, but um, yeah, it was just probably, you don't expect it with that magnitude coming from, you know, your own fans when you're, you know, you're trying to represent, you know, your countries, no one goes out to perform poorly. Um, one thing I've always prided myself on is, you know, even if I'm not playing my best, I learned in Germany, you, you, you fight and you run, you, you, you work your ass off for the team. And, um, you know, I do that in any game, no matter what. And I think, you know, my teammates and even my coaches always, you know, found that, you know, really important in me. Um, you know, then I, sometimes you start to doubt yourself a little bit, obviously when that kind of magnitude of criticism comes, but um, I always thought back, you know, every national team coach I've played under the four or five I've had is they've always, you know, I've always been a starter in every single team in, in, in team pick. So, you know, obviously I was doing something right. And, you know, I used to often, often think why they used to criticize Brett Holman at the time, because I was coming into the team as they were criticizing him. And I used to think, you know, what he was a top footballer, a player everyone wanted to play with. Um, and I never understood the, the criticism, but I think once it, it starts and then a lot of people just jump on the bandwagon, you know? I think, um, mate, sadly, that's the keyboard warriors go to work. And I think, sadly, in this generation of people, you can't hide from social media. But it really is disrespectful. And you find playing for your country that you put that much effort in. And sometimes you actually put in the back of your head, like Holman said to us uh, on the show, you, go, you think to yourself, why am I doing this? If I stay back and fight for my club, I can have a bad performance, but I can back up the following week and I don't get this kind of criticism. But I always say the lovers, they actually don't come out and say much. It's always the haters that have got more to say. And realistically, we as players we used to be able to take it. The worst thing is how your family is affected by it, oh, that these idiots don't understand. 100%. I mean, uh, like my parents, I think my, like my family, obviously they support the Socceroos crazy, you know, and for them to to witness the, the you know the abuse that I was copying for me I could I could put it to the side because I could go back out and mix it with the team and just concentrate on the game but for my family to see the abuse I was copying was you know it was difficult for them I could see which was you know then impacted me because you know you don't want I can handle it I'm, I've been in the in this atmosphere for a while so I, I knew I could deal with it but for them it was just different you know and some of the you know some of the abuse you get is just some of it's over the top you know like you know, just writing to to me about, you know, my wife or things like this and just, you know, just unneeded things that, you know, just the true keyboard warriors just come out of nowhere. So, I mean, for me, it was, um, it probably over, like, like Bredo said, I was stunned to, to think to myself, well, what's the point of me doing it? You know, like, um, you know, I'm, at my club, I can, you know, I, I can go there and just keep playing game after game and, you know, you get treated well. And then obviously your own fans here in the national team were, uh, from Australia were criticising you when you're only out there doing your best for, for, for your country and your, your family, you know. So it was really difficult. But, you know, um, particularly, with, you know, I, I'd missed two World Cups before that through injury. Um, I'd suffered, you know, so many setbacks. Um, you know, a lot of people don't understand how difficult it is coming back from, you know, long-term injuries. And, you know, I've had four of them. So... Uh, for me to finally get to that World Cup in 18 was, um, you know, a lot of sacrifices. I mean, you know, I sacrificed my ankle for that Asian Cup final for the for the nation and it cost me a year of my career, you know. Um, and then people quickly forget um, that, you know, those sacrifices you've made. And um, it's disappointing. And obviously, this is the era we live in at the moment. So, um, yeah, just obviously just just move on, I guess. 
Robbie, let, let's finish off where, back where we started. Um, you are back in the A-League with, with Melbourne Victory and thankfully back fit uh, and playing. Has the A-League uh, changed since you were last here? Uh, on the back of that, we've got a question from Kokafo, I think is the right way of pronouncing this on Twitter. Uh, as a player, have any changes occurred for yourself after the unbundling of the leagues? And do players generally understand what this means? Um, where's the A-League at at the moment? And as I say, has it, has it changed since you were last here for better or for worse, or is it the same? Um, oh, yeah, it was a difficult one. I think when I was here last time, we had um, probably a lot bigger and names, you could say, uh, at the time. Um, you know, obviously it was, a, you know, even at, for, for Brisbane Raw, for example, I was playing with Danny Tiado and, and Craig Moore, who were, you know, legends of, of Australian football. So, um, yeah, I think we went through a period there probably when I left for the next four or five years where the A-League really started to gain a lot of momentum. You know, the, there's big atmospheres and a uh, lot of publicity. And obviously with COVID and a lot of the stuff that's happening with um, the, the broadcasting deal, it's obviously impacted things severely. Obviously, salary caps are reduced massively. Um, it's impacted, obviously, the, the quality of players that you can recruit. But in saying that... Um, like you've seen over the weekend, uh, a lot of young players are, are getting a go now, which is, I mean, is really exciting, I guess, for fans to be able to see young homegrown talent coming through. I mean, it, it's just the way it has to be now, purely through salary cap. So um, I guess that's the one positive we can look at is, you know, the talent coming through and a lot of young kids getting chances, whereas in previous years, it was probably more older, dominated or foreign-based players playing a lot more. So, um in terms of that, um, you know, I think that's a, a massive plus. Um, in terms of the, I think with the breaking away from FFA, I'm not too, too sure on how it's all going to to unfold. Um, obviously, you know, we're not too sure what's happening even next season with with the broadcasting or anything like that. So there's a lot of things that are up in the air. Um, I mean, for players here, particularly middle-aged players, I guess it can be a lot, um, a little bit you know, stressful not knowing what's going to happen. And obviously with the COVID impact and whether the leagues can get shut down at any moment, it's it's quite stressful. So, Are you um, a middle-aged player, Robbie? Oh, <laughs> I wish. I'd give anything to go back to that, that's for sure. Um, sadly not, no. Um, and the final one, uh, is your Socceroos career still active? You, you're still hoping to get back in the national team, do you think? Um, yes, and uh, of course you... you, you at that I'm playing, if I'm fit and firing and, and the, the national team needed me, Arnie, I speak to Arnie quite a lot, um, then I'd obviously put my hand up. Um, obviously, we've got a lot of good players coming through. Um, you know, we're also a lot of players who, who aren't playing a lot overseas at the moment. And obviously, with the COVID impact, it's it's difficult to know how games are going to go ahead and if, if players can be released from clubs overseas or, or what's going to go ahead. So... You don't know if it's going to be A-League-based players who are going to have to finish the qualifying or whatnot. So, I mean, if I'm fit, obviously my priorities are at Melbourne Victory. Um, and I'm enjoying not probably travelling as much, you know, for those last 10, 11 years with the national team. It's been quite demanding on my family and um, on my wife being away all the time. So, um, I'm enjoying that aspect of being home a lot more, but um, I'd always be open to, to coming back to the national team. But obviously, got to get my body being able to take it week in, week out at the moment. Absolutely. Spidey, you, you get the last word. Well, I have to because, mate, Cruzy, I copped a lot of dogs abuse the last couple of weeks because I didn't ask about the dungeon. So, mate, you've played at a lot of good grounds. So, mate, tell us the best ground you've played at and tell us the biggest dungeon you've played at. Oof, um, 
well, there's there are actually a lot of dungeons in Germany, um, particularly when you go down to those in the cup games. Oh, it's um, it's it's rough. Um, but the best stadium definitely probably is um, Borussia Dortmund Stadium. Um, like you said earlier, Simon, it's uh, when you actually step up, step out onto the pitch, and you see that yellow wall, and you can't actually see to the top. I think it holds that that alone holds thirty thousand or thirty five thousand. It's um, it's uh, such a surreal feeling to play there, and the, the the choreography they do in those before games and behind that goal is um, is something special. It's uh, yeah, I'll never forget that my first game there. We drew with with Dortmund um, the season they won the comp um, under Jurgen Klopp. We drew one one there. We got an eighty eight minute um, equaliser. Um, you know, fortunately got the assist there, and it was uh, unbelievable, unbelievable atmosphere. The 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 booing we we cop for the next. 10 minutes time wasting was just unbelievable <laughs> um and then yeah there's um there's some pretty dire uh, <laughs> second league places you're playing at over in germany just open stadiums windy middle of winter just absolute just disgusting dungeon. football but yeah <laughs> just a dungeon exactly so um there's a lot of them okay right. robbie we're going to leave it there thank you so much for your time this morning fascinating trip down uh, memory lane wish you all the very best with melbourne victory this season i know it hasn't started too well for the club but i'm sure it'll turn around and uh, good luck mates and uh yeah it's been uh, terrific to talk to you no worries guys thanks for having me thanks, thanks Cruzy, top man. cheers guys cheers mate cheers. thank you guys and that is us for this week craig is back with us next monday until then enjoy your football bye for now deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.